forgive other people. But it's a little bit more rare for us to hear a church talking about, you know, you know let's deal with some of our own offenses. Let's how, how do we deal with those? Today I want to talk about what the Bible says, what we do when we are the person who is hurt or wronged somebody else. And uh, we're going to just start out right in the red, right in the words of Jesus. And uh, he, he was, Jesus was giving this, this pretty important um, talk, and he was in a little segment of this talk talking about relationships, and he said some amazing things. He said, you've heard it said before, do not do murder, but I say you shouldn't even hate people. Some pretty radical stuff was going on there, and he was definitely in the relationship zone as he was talking this through. So we'll we'll pick up his conversation in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 23, and he says this amazing thing. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And in, in the context is, is, is you're going to church, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you've hurt a friend, or you've let somebody down, or you're disappointed someone, you've lied to someone, and uh, they're upset with you, and you realize, oh, you're ready to give your gift to the Lord, and you realize, you know, wait a second, I've got some unfinished business, somebody's hurt with me, and, and in verse 24, he tells us what he wants us to do. Verse 24, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go, in other words, before you leave your gift, first go, and this word go, the Greek tense of this verb implies action, not just simple, but intense action. You may have to travel, you might have to work hard at it, you might have to over, even overcome some, some obstacles, but he says, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I, I just, you know, I've been kind of amazed by this scripture. It's kind of an odd thing. You wouldn't expect this from heaven. Um, so I kind of decided to dismantle it, take it apart. That word gift in there, there's 17 different words in, in the whole scripture, 17 different words that are used for gift. Uh, like we would have several words, like present, gift, offering. I mean, there's lots of words that we would use that could be translated as gift. This particular gift is the same exact one in Matthew 2, where these people came and gave these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to this child that was born. They came and it was an act of worship, a planned, it's that gift, an act of worship. And I, I gotta say this, I, I think this is fascinating because I can't find anywhere else in scripture, anywhere else in scripture, where I think God is saying that something else takes a higher priority than worship. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, stop with your worship. Take care of something else before you continue worshiping me. Deal with this. That is an amazing thing. Go first. He says, first go and reconcile with the one that you've wronged. And I thought, man, that is, that's pretty wild. Why would God want us to stop worshiping and go make amends? And now I, I thought that through and I think we could come up with some theological approach to that. But as a parent, I've kind of learned some things, and I, I have an idea. This is probably not the reason. It might be a reason. I'll just kind of generate some thinking here on this. You know, did your kids ever fight over the front seat? I mean, <laughs> there's something cool about sitting up next to mom or dad in the front seat, getting up there close. So you kind of a, there's an association thing. It's, did your kids fight over it? Right? I mean, I fought over it as a kid. I mean, I wanted that front seat, and I had three sisters you know automatically I'm a victim now because I had three sisters. <laughs> I had one older sister, and um, I love my sisters, but little boys have a viewpoint about their sisters. I'm going to share a little bit about that viewpoint. You'll see that as it comes out here. But 
Um, you know, we would get into it, and sometimes we get heated, and my older sister, Shelly, you know, girls mature physically faster than boys, you know, and so my older sister, Shelly, could take me most of my growing up life, and, um, but, but she could take me physically, but I had heart. I wasn't going to let that stop me, right? So we would get into it, and sometimes we'd get a little heated, and my mother had this solution that just, she'd make us sit in the back seat and hold hands. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I hated that. Do you want me to make you hold hands? Oh, you know, snap to attention. And, <laughs> and so then eventually my sister and I would reconcile. And <laughs> this is a file photo, okay? So we would reconcile. Um, the next photo, I'll wait on this, but the, the next one will actually be an actually family photo. We would reconcile. And then after we had made relationship right, then we could go back and sit with mom or dad. There's a picture there. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't be in the tussle. It'd be between two of my sisters. And I'd get to watch them reconcile. This is my sister's, the actual family picture. <laughs> Oh, how did that picture get there? I don't know what that is. Take that down. <laughs> and I think in some ways that's kind of what God is saying. He's saying, don't come and do your little church thing. Don't go do your religious acting things when you're not loving, when you're not working hard to bring reconciliation in relationships. There is something that takes priority even over the worship of God, and that's to honor your God by doing your part in bringing relationships back to a point of restoration. Jesus also said something else amazing in that very same chapter, verse, verse 9. He says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Interesting that he said peacemakers, not peacekeepers. I mean, there's a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. I mean, I'm thinking about this in our in our vernacular, we hear the word peacekeeper, and it means you take a U.S. soldier, take his helmet off, you put on a light blue soldier helmet, and you put him between two warring factions and say, hey, stand in between there and be peace, make peace. It's like, you follow my... I mean, that's probably one of the worst assignments you can give to a soldier. Get between two people who are feuding, and you stand in the middle and just make peace. A peace, keep the peace. How do you do that? You do that by absorbing their bullets? I don't know. It's, it's, but make... But, Making peace and keeping peace are two different things. Peacekeepers often avoid confrontation to keep peace. They want to avoid confrontation. And it's not bad to be a peacekeeper, you know. It's worse to be a turmoil maker. I mean, but it's not bad. Jesus just says, just, he just says, don't just be a peacekeeper, which some of us are in our relationships. We're peacekeepers. Oh, let's just not fight about it. Let's just not talk about it. Um, let's just pretend everything's okay. Let's just not acknowledge that every year when we get together at Thanksgiving, we got a big feud going on. We'll pretend that things are okay. Re- really deep down, we know things are not okay, but we just want to, you know, but I don't want to fight. I don't want to go through obstacles. It's just, let's just settle for being peacekeepers. And Jesus says, no, making peace is better. Peacemakers embrace confrontation to make peace. Jesus said, go. 
initiate, try, push past obstacles, apologize, do whatever it takes, even if you have to work through some difficult things to make peace. And that can be difficult, especially when we really know we're right. I mean, sometimes we know we're right. And we think, you know, I'm just not going to go capitulate my principles in order to bring peace here. I'm just not going to do that. And, you know, that's hard to back down when you know you're right. I mean, sometimes we're right and we know it. And we think to ourselves, I'm, I'm right. I'm not going to back down. They can back down. And in those moments, being right is more important to us than making peace. And many times that's the struggle that's going on just down within our hearts. Jesus said, go. Be willing to endure, to embrace confrontation, if that's what it takes. And there is a great enemy and a great friend to peacemaking. The greatest enemy to peacemaking is pride. No elbows, please. None of this. Yeah, none of that right now. The greatest friend to peacemaking is humility. The greatest enemy is pride, and the greatest friend is humility. I think if you can show me any relationship where there's tension between two people, I'll show you two proud people saying, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> it's your fault. If you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done this. Or I'm not going to apologize. At least I'm not going to apologize first. And here's the deal. In almost every ongoing relationship struggle, in almost every ongoing one, there are two people that are somewhere at fault. You know, one of them, the other person could be this massive jerk on steroids, but you're still a little bit, you still got a little bit of skin in the game in there. There's, there's to some degree. And the scripture says that if at all possible, to the, to the degree as far as it depends on you, you're to live at peace with other people. Romans 12. If you've only got 1% of the responsibility and the other person is the 99, you know, you're still responsible for your 1%. Go and apologize for your part. By the way, don't bring percentages into that equation. Hey, I'm here to apologize for my 1% of this mistake, this problem. You can deal with what you want with your 99%. That's not the best approach. <laughs> but humility says, I do own this part. And, um, you know, sometimes... Even that 1% can be an attitude that we bring to it. Maybe, maybe it wasn't there before, and maybe we're starting to think that, you know, this isn't fair to me, and now I'm a little bit of a victim, um, and that 1% could just be an attitude. I can tell you, when, when Lisa and I have, over the years, dealt with, um, with couples, and their marriage has falled, failed, or it's near there, it's almost 100% we talk to the innocent one. Here's what I mean. I mean... When people come, their position is, oh, listen, I'm doing things right. It's this other person, right? It's, it's hard sometimes to see our own fault or our own problems, our own responsibility in the mirror. That's a hard thing to see, especially when our heart is aching from something that legitimately is hurting us that this other person is doing. It's hard to see that. But what happens when you humble yourself is that you elevate that relationship above yourself. You elevate that. I love this person more than I love being right. It's an amazing thing. And it doesn't even have to be somebody you know. 
I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. These are fresh ones from last week. Lisa and I were at a Foursquare conference for a few days last week in Spokane. So, um, you know, we're out doing our thing, and we had a couple of hours one afternoon, and so we were driving. At the, we were at this mall. We needed to go get some shampoo or something. I don't know what we were getting there, but... Um, so we were done, and we're, I'm driving down the lane. We're talking. There's cars coming and going. It's in the middle of the week, but it was busy, and um, I didn't see it, but a woman, a young lady, was trying to back out, and I, I didn't see her, and you know, we didn't touch or anything, but there was also a guy out there, and I don't know what he was doing, but when I didn't see her, and I stopped, and then she stopped, and she pulled back in, and so I started to pull forward because I, I don't know, whatever. I thought I had the right of way. Um, the guy was, became very upset with me. Now my windows are up, and we got music playing, good old country music, good music. And, um, but I, over all of that, I could hear this guy. And he was saying words and things to me that he ought not to have been saying. And um, <laughs> this first example I want to give you is when I really blew it, okay? This is, <laughs> this is not where I did it right. So I, first I thought, you know, what is this guy's issue? And I could tell he was, ah, 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 and, and you could actually see blue words coming out. <laughs> and um, I, first thing I did was I stopped, and I looked at him, and I smiled. I don't know what kind of a smile it was, but it, somehow it ramped him up some more. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, you know, this, this doesn't, you know, I, so I rolled down my window, and I wasn't being entirely noble, but the first words I heard were blue words insulting. <laughs> I'm starting to get mad all over thinking about this. And, and, um, and I started struggling because I felt wronged. Now, I don't know what had happened. I don't know why he was there, what his relationship was to the girl driving the car, whether he was trying to impress her, whether he was trying to care for her, whether I had been the 43rd car that hadn't let her out. I don't know what happened. But by the time I came upon the scene, I was the great source of all evil in their lives. (laughs) And he was letting me know. And um, I started to kind of mumble. I started to kind of say some things back. I kind of said, and frankly, someone who hooks up with the Holy Spirit, said, Terry, you stop. (laughs) And I came to my senses and I thought, okay, okay, she's right. The last thing I need is to call the church council and say, hey, I'm in Spokane. Could somebody come bail me out? (laughs) So Lisa saved me. Thank you, honey. I mean, she was actually very godly about it, but Terry, Terry, roll that window up. Let's go. Come on, come on. I mean, I, I literally was at one point where I was thinking about putting it in a park and getting out of the car. You know, there's just some things. You know how to talk to me that way, and my wife is hearing it. That's enough. You know, kind of, oh, it's just, uh, I'm getting amped up thinking about it. Anyway, so we drove away. I blew that one. I blew that. I don't know them. I don't know what that did to the rest of their day. I know what it did to me for probably half an hour. It didn't do me any good. Here's another one that happened last week. This one I tried, still didn't succeed, but I'm going to tell you about this one. <laughs> so we're sitting in a restaurant going to have a bowl of spaghetti. And they seated us, and we were not not there for 30 seconds. And in the next booth is a young couple with their back to us, and I think was probably one of their parents and a child. So the child, the grandmother, the parents. You get that? And so we're sitting there, and pretty soon this child starts going off and screaming. I mean, not crying, 
but screaming the kind of, I'm going to get what I want kind of scream. Grandma gets up out of the way. Um, child literally rolls, squirming on the floor, screaming, 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 screaming. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, well, this can't go on forever. Let's just do our thing. And the waiters are now uncomfortable. It's, you know, people around the restaurant are looking around like, you know, do something about this. And, and um, in the meantime... I'm looking at my menu. I'm trying to figure out, do I want the pizza or the, the spaghetti? Um, we're talking about things. I'm distracted by this. And I'm kind of spacing out. Okay? Spacing out, the out is where you kind of, you know, you take this blank face, comes on your look, and you're just looking somewhere. But that doesn't reflect what's going on in your mind or your heart. You just kind of turned off your face for a while while your mind thinks, right? <laughs> I'm spacing out. Well, I happen to be spacing out in the direction of this child, which is the last thing that I'd watch, and it's rolling on the floor. And I got this look on my face, you know, whatever the look was. Well, I was awakened from my spacing out by the mother, who at this point now, they've, they're getting their stuff out. They've, they've got their, their beverages and so forth, but dinner hasn't come. They've placed their order, and now they've decided they're leaving. And so they're out, da 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 and the mother leans over our booth, and she says, What? <laughs> looking me in the eye and, I, uh, and it kind of jolted me and um, I realized it looked to her like I was scowling at her daughter <laughs> I might have been I didn't mean to be I said to her I'm sorry just, I think it was just like that I don't know if it was like that or not but that's what I think I did I don't know what I had done but I thought you know, I'll defuse this I'm sorry I, did a, I really tried to do it better Complete stranger. She looked at me, huff, and off she went, and off, you know, off it went. Now, I, had, I carried some responsibility in that conflict. Maybe my demeanor was not as sensitive as it could have been. They were under stress. The child, they didn't, you know, parents learn how to raise their kids, and they make mistakes, and the child is creating a scene. It's embarrassing. They don't get to have their spaghetti. All these things are going on, and the guy in the booth next to him is staring at their daughter. I wasn't meaning to do that, but I was, I think. I said, I'm sorry. She didn't accept my apology. She went off in a huff. I don't know if it had anything to do with me. Um, and so here's where I, where I come down on that. I tried to do the right thing there. That's my responsibility. Everything else is up to the Holy Spirit. Everything else there. And I decided, rather than being right, I would humble myself and say, I'm sorry to a total stranger. And... I don't know what happened with her. But Lord, bless that family, uh, wherever they are right now. How much would God be able to do in your heart if you would just take pride out and put humility in? Pull that out of there. Put this in instead. And then by humility, God could make you not just a peacekeeper, but God could make you into a peacemaker. First go and do what you can to make it right. How do we apologize with integrity? Because there's a right way to do it, and then there's a wrong way to do it. Um, so I want to start with a couple of wrong ways, because those are the fun ones. Some people never apologize for anything. Never. You know some people, you probably do, you know some people, that they will just not, they just will not apologize. There's a guy named Rogers Cadenhead, You've probably never heard him. Heard of him? He's a self. He describes himself as a domain hoarder. 
Okay, here's what that is. He's kind of tech savvy. He realizes that certain domain names are very valuable because people will go to that domain and buy stuff, right? So he's savvy. He watches what goes on out in the world and he says, oh, this is going to be a valuable domain name and he knows how to get get in there, get in first and get the rights to it. So he's done this. And um, a number of years ago when um, the last... Pope passed away and they were naming the new one. He was paying attention and he real quickly went out and got the uh, domain name uh, benedictxvi.com, the current Pope. www.benedictxvi.com. And he's thinking, they're going to want this and they're going to pay a lot of money for it. There had been another very similar name that had somebody else had grabbed and it went on eBay and auctioned off for $16,000. So we're talking real money here, folding money here, Okay. And uh, he's thinking, oh, you know, I can make some money off this. And then, you know, he got a little smarter about it. He thought, you know, the last thing I need to do is anger 1.1 billion Catholics in the world and my grandma. So I'm going to just give them the domain name, but not for anything. He makes, a, uh, he makes, this is a true story. He makes an offer to the Vatican. He says, I will give you this domain name. Here's what I want. I want one of those little hats. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. He wanted a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. And get this, he wanted complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. <laughs> he wanted forgiveness for something. And that's not the right way to ask. Don't, and here's, here's some more wrong ways to ask. Don't ever say, if I ever did anything to hurt you, I'm sorry. That's not an apology. That's a cop-out. Don't ever say, I'm really sorry you feel that way and it hurts your feelings. That's not an apology. That's being a jerk. So I want to give you five tips. (laughs) These pictures have no relationship to my former family pictures that I showed you earlier. I want to give you five tips for how to apologize correctly and then we're going to be done. Item number one, tip number one. Admit to specific actions and attitudes. Get specific. There's something very healing about when you name what you did. I'm so sorry that I lied to you. I'm so sorry. I should have called you and I didn't. And some people will say, but I didn't do anything wrong. How do I apologize for that? And it's true. You didn't do anything. It may be that you need to apologize for not doing something that you should have. You know, I mean, theologians like to talk about two kinds of sins, sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commissions are things you choose to do. Sins of omissions are things that we really should have done but didn't, and that's a sin. And, um, you know, I know I should have done it, and I didn't. That's actually a sin. Sometimes we can be peacemakers by apologizing for something that we didn't do, you know. I know I should have protected you, and I didn't. I knew this was important to you, and I was just selfish, and you paid the price. Or, I'm sorry I neglected our relationship. Or, I'm sorry I took you for granted. I shouldn't have done that. Apologize specifically, both actions and attitudes, and God can do a healing work. Second thing, don't make excuses. Don't. And making excuses can, can also include blame shifting and intellectualizing. You know, The reason I spend all this money is because you're so cheap. <laughs> Or if you weren't so sensitive, this really wouldn't even be an issue. So I'm sorry. 
I mean, that's not really. Now own up to it. I knew this was important to you and I was being selfish and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Or intellectualizing, you know, here's one guys, a lot of guys do this, especially early in their marriages. They try to tell their wives, you know, you really shouldn't feel that way. That doesn't work. I've tried it. Don't, you cannot intellectualize your way out of an apology when somebody's hurt. Item number three, accept the consequences. When you hurt somebody, when you betray them, when you let them down, there's often going to be some consequences. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying punishment. There's just consequences. If you've gossiped about a friend and hurt them and they forgive you, they're probably going to need some time to rebuild that trust. Those are the consequences. Accept them. You know, if you're genuinely sorry, accept the consequences in order to be a peacemaker. If you violate your parents' rules for what, how you handle the car and, and they say, hey, we forgive you. By the way, hand us the keys. We'll, you'll get another chance in three months. Don't start whining because those are consequences. If you fail at something huge, you fail in your marriage vows and you're unfaithful to your wife or your husband and she's devastated, but she loves Jesus and she loves you, and she forgives you. And then she says to you, hey, if I call you during the day or during the night, answer my phone call. Tell me where you are and what you're doing. I need to know. You know, don't start whining, saying, oh, that's too embarrassing. It's not professional. I, I could lose my job. Then change your job because those are the consequences You shouldn't have violated your spouse. Live with the consequences. Part of the apology is owning up to consequences because that's the right thing to do. You know, say, I'm sorry, I don't own up to the consequences. Fourth thing is change your behavior. When you did something wrong, you just need to change. Don't yell at someone, apologize, and then yell again. (laughs) Don't leave somebody out, apologize for leaving them out, and then leave them out again the next time. Change your behavior. You know, find a friend. If you are in the Bible study, find one of the women at your table in the Bible study, someone who will hold you accountable and say, hey, I'm struggling with somebody. Help me with your golf buddy. Find somebody, ask them to, to hold you accountable, but you need to change. Number five, this is probably the most important one. Ask for forgiveness. Don't just stop at, I'm sorry. Those are some of the most powerful human words because they get at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at somebody else in the eye and say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Please forgive me. I, I've told this story before, so I won't go into great detail again, but I've told the story here before, of probably 20 years ago when I was at Living Water. and As a young pastor, I was very goal-oriented. I'd come from the corporate world, and I was really goal-oriented and insensitive the goal was everything to me. Relationship was secondary. And I hurt people. That insensitivity and goal orientation, at many times I would get to the goal and there would be, you know, this residue of human beings in, my t- in the path of my tank trade. It was really not good. Really not good. And, and um, um, I, the Lord really corrected me about that. The Lord didn't throw me out, by the way. People that love me didn't throw me away. They stood by me and they said, you've got to get this right. You've got to get this correct. And, 
the Lord can retrieve this. And part of what I needed to do was ask forgiveness. And we had a church service and, and um, it was a, was a night, an evening service that wasn't a regular thing for the church to have. And so we said, come, this is really important. And we were doing other things, but the real apex of the meeting was an opportunity for me to stand in front of the entire church. At the, that night, there was probably 700 people. And I stood up in front of them and I said, I've hurt, I've been insensitive, and I've hurt many of you. I'm way compressing this now for the sake of the moment. And I said, I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. And I... I don't know who all of you are that I've hurt, but I want you to, to tell me if you will. I really want to make this right. That was both the lowest point of my leadership life and the highest. It was the most difficult thing to stand in front of hundreds of people as the leader, as a leader, as a pastor, and say, I've, I've hurt too many of you. And I'm sorry. For, please forgive me. Um, the night was kind of a blur for me for a lot of reasons. But some spiritual things broke that night. Because, you know, I, a lot of times in the church, you'll see leaders that will make mistakes, but they'll just kind of get tucked away somewhere because there's a fear that if a leader makes a mistake, well, then people will go, gee, we can't follow a leader that's not perfect. Thank you for being a church that will follow a leader that's not perfect. Because if you're looking for the perfect leader, this is the wrong church for you. Amen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I, saw, I served it up like a nice big soft pitch right up in the wheelhouse. And <laughs> And some things broke because there is something pleasing to God that sets the spirit free when we apologize righteously and ask for forgiveness and ask for forgiveness it's the same thing you and I do that that allows the Lord to open up heaven and say to us enter into my rest because we ask for forgiveness we ask for forgiveness when you know, if you're like me, you probably broke some bones growing up, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm kind of weird about that. But when a bro- bone breaks, and if it's properly cared for, when it heals, it will go back to the same strength that it was originally engineered to be. It's not weaker at that point. It is for a while, then it gets stronger, and then over time, it gets back. And it's as exactly as strong as if it had never, ever even been broken. And some of you have a broken relationship somewhere. Somewhere. And we're going to pray in just a minute because we're done. You could just kind of smile and sneak out of church. I mean, not to just sneak out of church, but I mean, you could just smile and just let this go and say, okay, well, what time's a football game on? <laughs> but, I, but I've been praying that God would take the things that are broken and heal it, set those bones, and let it get back to the original strength that he intended. And you are a participant in that. I just pray that as I've been talking about this, the Holy Spirit might remind you about something. And it might not be easy 
You may have to first go. You may have to go through some obstacles, push past some distrust, maybe even climb a mountain or a chasm that you dug. But I'm praying that the Lord will signal those things as, you, as the Lord is signaling those things to your heart that you'll find your way to follow his hand and be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Admit to specific actions and attitudes. Don't make excuses. Accept the consequences. Change your behavior and ask for forgiveness. Lord, let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, God, today I want to thank you that when I came to you and I said, Lord, would you please forgive me? You did. 